And now... An MRAP Mini! <laughs> Hello, EMRAP. This is Zach Shiner. I am here with my ED ECMO podcast colleague, Joe Belezzo. Greetings, everybody. And we just got back from the American Heart Association. Joe and I flip-flopped our time there, and we have this collective experience about resuscitation and the bleeding edge of what's going on in the world. We are going to be talking to you about a couple of different topics today, and we are going to start off with Reboa. Now, I know we've sort of beat Reboa to death. You've heard about this from trauma surgeons. You've heard about how it's used, but we've got a little twist on it today. Okay, resuscitative endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta, or Reboa, is placement of a balloon occlusion catheter into the aorta in somebody who is exsanguinating from below that level. Now, Zach... You just had a case of this in our emergency department. Yeah, so I put somebody on Reboa, and this is a game changer in the sense that maybe it's not just trauma surgeons that need to be doing this. Maybe we as emergency physicians need to be adept at this skill. And I want you to sort of think about the implications of this. We've talked about it in trauma. We've talked about it in a pelvic trauma that is exsanguinating. We can't get them to IR. We need something to, to occlude this. But there are all kinds of cases that we deal with in the emergency room that have very similar scenarios. So one of them, ectopic. How about the triple A that's bleeding to death? How about the ovarian cyst that's hemorrhagic and they're losing their blood pressure? And there may even be a sub subset of our variceal GI bleeds, where all we need to do is occlude that aorta for a brief period of time so that we can get them to the definitive procedure. Yeah, and Zach, this should be well within the skill set of an emergency room doctor, wouldn't you think? Well, it's not rocket science. I mean, this is putting up a catheter inside the femoral artery. We put in fem lines. We've talked about how important we think these are in cardiac arrest. Now, I don't want to say this is without risk because there is substantial risk with Reboa. When you're talking about zone three down into the pelvis, you're talking about cutting off blood supply to the lower extremities. So you need to get that balloon down as fast as possible. When you're talking about zone one, Above the diaphragm, now you're talking about spinal arteries that you're occluding. And so you really need to get that balloon down. So in these types of patients, we're talking about about to die or already in cardiac arrest. We're talking about putting the balloon up so you can get somebody to come in and ban the varices. You can get IR to come in and include the bleeding wherever it's coming from or getting OBGYN to cut out the ectopic. So temporary, but potentially life-saving. Now, wouldn't you say, though, that it seems like the world of resuscitation is moving towards the endovascular uh, methods? You know, we are doing ECMO. We put in balloon pumps. We do now, well, we might do Reboa. These kinds of things, a lot of endovascular stuff that is improving outcomes without doing highly invasive procedures like the thoracotomy. Well, let's even make it more general. Let's talk about TAVRs. Let's talk about IR, how they take over the hospital. I mean, every procedure in our hospital is more or less done by interventional radiology. And this is a skill set that not only we can develop, that is something that we could really save some lives with. And, you know, the focus of Reboa has been primarily on trauma, but you just mentioned there are a number of of medical things that can happen that result in exsanguinating patients and hemorrhage that can potentially be controlled with Reboa. Okay, not prime time, but I'm telling you this is coming. Number two topic today is TTM. Joe, take us there. Yeah, so targeted temperature management. 
TTM, the Nielsen paper, the one that has a lot of controversy brewing over the past several months regarding whether or not you take your post-arrest patients to 33 degrees or 36 degrees. And as you all know, the TTM trial did not show any difference between the two. Well, we were just at American Heart Association Conference in Chicago, and Hans Freiberg, who is the last author, a PhD, the last author on the TTM paper, very eloquently laid out the TTM trial describing no difference of 36 over 33. But the problem is that a lack of difference does not mean that no difference exists. So there's controversy out there. And one of the thoughts is that patients with longer arrests would benefit at a lower temperature, 33 degrees over 36. And that's when next, Pat Lydon, a stroke neurologist, is doing studies in neurons and astrocytes and exposing them to low-flow oxygen, no-flow oxygen, or normoxia. And when comparing those, he's finding that neurons do much better if they're cooled to a 33-degree temperature over a 36-degree temperature when they've been exposed to prolonged low-flow and no-flow states. And why is that important? Because that's the group of patients that Zach and I are taking care of on a regular basis when they have ECMO. Those patients, by definition, all have prolonged low-flow states. And so you're sitting in this room, and right there just sipping around, drinking coffee, everybody's calm. No, Not really anger, but more of a fairly heated discussion regarding the two. Specifically, I think it's fair to point out that the Nielsen folks and Hans Freiberg cannot say that there's no difference between 33 and 36. And Pat Lydon was very clear that he wanted to make that point, that while there's no difference between the two, it doesn't mean that a difference doesn't necessarily exist. And the last point is that perhaps it's a dose response. So perhaps in prolonged resuscitations, the dose that the patient should be getting is 33 degrees, but in these patients that get, you know, 10 seconds of chest compressions and they're a little dizzy afterwards, they get put on 36 degrees and they do just fine. And so Graham Nickel, we interviewed him a couple months and also an expert in hypothermia. He would say the same thing. He would say the differences between these papers are that the Nielsen group, they had a long time to get to cooling. They had a patient population that wasn't that sick and they got prognosticated too early. So Graham and I think a substantial amount of the world is saying, keep them at 33 degrees. Yeah, so take home points here, right? Number one, controlling temperature is clearly important. We're not just letting these patients have whatever temperature their bodies go to. Number two, for short response arrests, 33 degrees may not benefit over 36. And finally, there may be a dose response to therapeutic hypothermia. All right, next topic, AHA ECMO continues to explode. All around the world, they are doing this. We had some great talks with out of Paris where they're doing pre-hospital ECMO. Pre-hospital ECMO, man. Can you believe it? Lionel Lamho showed me pictures of them putting patients on ECMO in the Louvre. They've got pictures of them you know, taking them out of houses, and he's getting about a 10% survival on these refractory cardiac arrest patients that would have already been pronounced at the scene. They are getting these patients back. Second thing there was with the, out of Vienna, they're now coming up with the RCT, randomized control trial, where they're asking the question, do we stay in play at the scene, or do we load and go in the ambulance and take them to the hospital to put them on ECMO? They're using 15 minutes as their 
cutoff, and we're going to have some data on whether we think that ECMO is actually better in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest versus our standard therapy. And in a new update in the trauma world, Sam Tisherman at the University of Pittsburgh, along with the folks at Shock Trauma, are taking patients who have penetrating trauma, exsanguinating hemorrhage, and instead of pumping blood into them, they're sucking the blood out and they're doing a thoracotomy, putting in a wire, and then doing a Seldinger technique to place a catheter and blasting them full of ice cold saline and bringing them down to 10 friggin' degrees. Final topic here mechanical chest compression devices. The literature so far has shown that they are about equivalent to manual CPR. We have not seen benefit with the use of mechanical chest compression devices. There was yet another study at AHA this year that said that mechanical chest compression are not better than manual CPR. The differences here are probably related to the time takes to put on the patient. And so if you are using these, which a lot of the resuscitation world is using them, you have to be cognizant that that first defibrillation is important and should not be delayed in trying to get one of these devices on it. There was also trials at AHA this year that showed potential complications with use of these devices. All kinds of biases here as far as the amount of time that people get chest compressions when they're on the devices. But we need to look at this and sort of say, is this something that is beneficial for our cardiac arrest patients? Zach, you know I'm a fan of the mechanical chest compression device, and here are my arguments. These are the intangibles. Number one, there's a calming effect in the room when a chest compression device is activated. Number two, no rescuer injuries. People don't get back strains from pushing a button on the mechanical chest compression device. Number three, you can do continuous CPR and there's no interruptions. Number four, you can transport these patients, whether it's from an ambulance to the uh, hospital or throughout the hospital with a chest compression device, such as maybe going to the cath lab. And the last point is vascular access. You know how much we love vascular access. Getting access to the femoral vessels is so much easier if somebody's on a mechanical chest compression device than human chest compressions. Okay. I know I'm a fan as well, but I will say that's with a huge caveat. The studies are still out there. They have not shown benefit. This is expensive. This takes a lot of mobilization to make a whole EMS use these devices. But again, in our facility, I'm a big advocate. All right, summing up this episode, Reboa, it's not just for trauma. You're going to be using it probably more in the traumatic setting right now, but I'm telling you, in the future, this may be an ER procedure. Number two, targeted temperature management, prolonged arrest, 33 degrees. These short arrests, the verdict is still out. Uh, ECMO, a lot of updates. This continues to explode. And the final thing, mechanical chest compression devices, no benefit in studies, but a lot of us still use them. EM Rap from Joe Belezzo and Zach Shiner, we are signing off. It's over!